We're continuing our series in uh, the book of Exodus, and so I invite you to open your Bible to Exodus chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 47. I'll be reading verses 18 to 31. We'll not sing the verses. We'll just try to read them in English. That was fantastic. Thank you, Lee. Now, finally, Moses is on his way back to Egypt out of his exile in Midian. As we look at this passage, the, the Lord himself, God's words and actions, God's character are front and center in out the passage. So if you're taking notes, you'll see there's an outline in the bulletin that you can follow along or if you have your notebook. This passage shows God is the redeemer of his people, that God is sovereign, that he is holy, and the Lord God is almighty. That's the outline for the message. Now, listen to God's word. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So the Lord let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words the Lord to, of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all of the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that the Lord had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So God, we bow our heads to worship you. We're bowing our heads now to look at your word and to make sense of it, Lord. The only possible way is for your spirit to do a good work in and through us this morning and through me. So I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be wholly acceptable to you, Lord, and that we would see firsthand in our lives who you are and who you are meaning us to be in the brief life that you have for us on this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we read how God had 
provided and prepared Moses for the mission. And now he's finally on his way. After all of his questions, all the doubts, even Moses' outright refusal to go, he finally answers to the call to be a hero. But before he leaves, he checks in with his father-in-law, Jethro, the head of the clan, which is customary. I love this detail that Moses would check with his father-in-law first. Throughout our study, as we've gone through uh, the book of Exodus, we've seen hints and little foreshadowings of the Ten Commandments. And here's another one, the Fifth Commandment, to honor your mother and father. He's honoring his father-in-law here. Now notice, Moses asks, asks for permission to leave, but he makes no mention of his incredible encounter with God. Not a word about a burning bush. Nothing about signs and wonders that the Lord performed through and, and in Moses. Nothing about his mission to save God's people out of Egypt. And I was wondering, why is that? Why wouldn't he mention what was going on? And then I thought about a phone call I had earlier this week, actually two calls. And it reminded me that perhaps Moses didn't share all of that information because he didn't want his father-in-law and family to worry about Zipporah and the boys going on this dangerous mission. Earlier this week, I called my mom, who lives out in California, with great news that I had been invited this April, right after Easter, to travel to Israel and Palestine. It's a bucket list for me to go to the Holy Land, to see, to be there for Orthodox Easter, and then to travel into the West Bank, into Ramallah, uh, for a couple of days. And my mom's reaction, oh, you're going to give me a heart attack. She was so upset and so worried about her, her baby boy, because I'm the favorite, of course, of the three of us, <laughs> going all the way over there to, 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 uh, to Israel and to Palestine and Oh, she was so worried, so I tried to put her at ease and thinking to myself, why did I have to tell her everything, or why didn't I wait? So I call my big brothers for backup, and we have a three-way phone call, and my brother's response, well, just don't die over there. So I think Moses might have been uh, editing himself. Maybe also he's a little hesitant because he himself still has his uncertainties about this mission. But he goes anyway. And now look at what he says. It says, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt. Forty years in, in Midian. And, and now Moses 100% identifies with his people, the Hebrews. Well, for whatever reason, Jethro's fine with it. I mean, this was still a dangerous thing to go back to Egypt. But he gives his blessing, even though there are harsh conditions there and they're on their way. Look at verse 19. Notice the Lord says to Moses while they're on their way, quote, Go back to Egypt. All the men who were seeking to kill you are now dead. So God is, is letting him know uh, that he doesn't have to worry about the death sentence that had been put over him uh, before he left. When I first read this passage, I thought, well, that seems pretty straightforward. God's just helping to reassure Moses again. But, but last week we saw these incredible signs and wonders that the Lord performed in and through Moses and through that staff. Surely he wouldn't have to be afraid of anything going back to Egypt. So what was going on here? If Moses had nothing to fear, why would the Lord say, don't be, 
you know, don't worry about the men. They, they've, they've died, the ones that have a death sentence on you. Well, there are a number of very complicated questions coming up in this passage. Uh, this is an easier one, I think, for me to, to wrap my brain around. What I've concluded is that the death of Moses' enemies was a sign that the exodus had already begun. Rather than reassuring Moses about his safety or the safety of, of his wife and, and sons, because they were still in real peril, God's statement that the first Pharaoh is, is gone now, that he's died, was more like an announcement that the clock was now ticking. That the Lord's plans to rescue his people out of Egypt, that promised deliverance, had started. What sticks out in my mind here is the fact that Moses is going only because God commanded him to go. All of this has happened because the Lord God has orchestrated these things to happen. God commanded Moses to go. Moses is clearly still afraid of what's ahead. He's completely dependent upon the power of God. In other words, it is very clear throughout our study that God is the one who is redeeming his people. Moses is a messenger. Moses is a great prophet. Moses will be seen and truly celebrated as a hero, but the redeeming will be the work of the Lord. It's the same in Exodus. It's the same in the New Testament. It's the same today. It is the work of the redeeming Lord that saves. Now look what Moses took with him. He took two things. His family, his, his, his wife and sons. I think he's taking them. Well, he takes a donkey too, but okay, three things. Uh, I think he's not planning to ever come back by taking them all with him. And he took the ordinary staff, that shepherd's crook that he had, that the Lord God had transformed into something extraordinary. A sign of, of both uh, that was meant to convince, but also to convict. And finally, the preparation is over and he's on his way. The redeeming Lord's plan is ticking now. Now look at verses 21 to 23. The sovereignty of God, the, the, the majesty, the authority, the, the rulership of God is on display and exampled here in these verses. The Lord tells Moses exactly what he's supposed to do. Okay, that, we can get that one. And exactly what's going to happen. How do we wrap our brain around that? It's all well and good. Uh, if you've been in this series, you've seen uh, me say out of the text that, that the Lord is orchestrating, is preparing. We've talked about turning points in Moses' life, rescuing him out of the reeds and the, the Nile. Just the incredible serendipity that when he runs for his life, he ends up at that well in Midian, and along comes Zipporah and her sisters, and this will be his future wife. All these things that are happening, and we said the Lord was orchestrating all these things, but now we come to this passage, and we're, surely some of us are thinking, okay, hold up, what is going on here? What is this about Pharaoh's heart being hardened? Well, we can understand a bad person, a bad guy, making bad decisions and suffering bad consequences. But it says here, the Lord says, I will harden his heart 
so that he will not let my people go. What's going on here? Well, let's start with what's being hardened before we get into who's doing the hardening. What is being hardened? He says the heart. The heart refers to the whole person, your intellect, your will, your emotions from which a person acts. It's your heart that tells you, I guess I'm going to go to church today even though it's freezing cold. That was a, an act of your will. That was an act of your heart. Now the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is mentioned 19 times in the book of Exodus from chapter 4 to, to chapter 14. So I did a little research. Nine of those references say that Almighty God, Yahweh, hardened Pharaoh's heart. And ten of those references say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, hardened toward the suffering of Israel, hardened toward Almighty God, was not heeding the warnings of God. So how do we judge that? Nine to ten, ten to nine? The implication from each of these texts throughout chapters 4 to 14 is that Pharaoh indeed is answerable for his own actions, and yet also indeed the Lord was ordaining what was to happen. Here's an example of where the two cross over. If you're opening, if you're still in your Bible, look at uh, chapter 8, verse 15. It says, When Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, that means a, a, a little delay, a little backing off of these plagues that kept happening, these terrible warnings to him. When he saw that there was a little respite, a little, a little pullback, a little ceasefire, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. See how there's, it's both and. When you get down to it, the exodus is about God's sovereignty. It's about God's worship. It's about God's kingdom. And Pharaoh is standing in the way. And what the text is saying is, nothing will stand in the way of Almighty God. God is telling Moses not only what he wants him to do, but he's telling him his intentions ahead of time. God is telling Moses and us, show, he's, he's telling Moses to show Pharaoh, look at it, it says miracles. It doesn't say signs and wonders. There's a different word here in the Hebrew. These are signs that point to Almighty God. Show him these miracles that he might take notice of them. Warn him that I am here to rescue my firstborn son. This is covenant language. This is as, as intimate and as personal as it can get. How many here have seen the Taken movies by Liam Neeson? Anyone see those movies? What, this poor guy, his family keeps getting taken from him. When will they just stay home in Pasadena and not travel internationally? But that, that, that urge that he has those, that particular set of skills, he's going to go and, and get his wife and his daughter back. And he speaks to the, the bad guys in this very personal way. This is the Lord speaking through Moses. Tell Pharaoh, I've come to take my children home. But the Lord also says, even though there are dire consequences to Pharaoh's own actions, it says that his sovereign hand is ultimately governing the events. And that is hard for, for us to wrap our brains around, but the biblical view 
And certainly here in the narrative is it points to the fact that Pharaoh hardened his heart and would suffer the consequences. And that also the Lord knew and planned and ordained these things to happen. Rather than making a believer out of Pharaoh, the signs, the wonders, the miracles would only harden him in his unbelief. He would receive exactly what he wanted. In his stubbornness, he would not let God's people go. The miracles of Jesus Christ had the exact same effect. The miracles shared and show forth that the kingdom of God had come near. People were being healed, and yet some, many, most, hardened their hearts, questioned, mocked, and turned away. This is, a, this is one that we have to wrestle with. Pharaoh's will was also God's will. This is the paradox of, of our human responsibility and, and God's divine will. And it's too much for us to puzzle through and solve today. But we're going to keep stri- struggling to make sense of it, that God is sovereign. Now look at verses 24 to 26. Now is Pat Harrigan here today? I don't see Pat. Last week, Pat uh, was in the... Uh, choir loft and he came chasing down uh, as fast as he could come and, and grab hold of me while he, he called to me. I don't want to exaggerate too much, but he said, make sense of this passage. This doesn't make any sense. And my answer to Pat, give me one week. So, so here it goes. What's going on here in these verses, verses 24 to 26? Well, this part of the story has everything to do with the holiness of God and that we mustn't ever take the holiness of God for granted. The Lord is remembering his covenant promises, and Moses is taking those covenant promises for granted. And he would later be held responsible for not doing what was prescribed and commanded in circumcising his sons. That was the sign of the covenant that God had given to Abraham. That was Moses' duty, and yet he delayed it. He, for whatever reason, Set it aside. The text doesn't tell us exactly what happened to Moses, but I imagine some kind of terrible seizure, some kind of heart attack. But it's Zipporah who saves the day. She knows this is a soul attack, and she rescues her husband. Let's give it up for the ladies in the Bible, the heroes of faith. If Moses, come on, that's it? If Moses, once again, is being preserved by the women in his life. If he was to win an Academy Award, he should thank his mother and his adopted mother and his sister and now his wife for rescuing him. Just imagine the scene. He's having some kind of seizure, and she knows exactly what to do. I cannot imagine a more personal or profound way for God to display his holiness than to go directly after Moses like this. For Moses to see what his wife had to do, what his sons had to experience and go through in order to save Moses must have shaken loose any sense of taking the Lord's holiness for granted and here forever Moses would be transformed to never take the holiness of God for granted. God was sending a sinful man on a mission, and before he could accomplish that mission, 
he first needed to be forgiven. And he needed to do some things for his family. Things that he was meant to do, but his wife had to step in and save the day. Holiness. This example of holiness, of being set apart, gets more close to home than anything else I can see in Scripture. At the heart of Moses' family, there was an offense to the will of God, who had commanded covenant men to have the sign of circumcision. And so he's restored by this action uh, of his wife. His family is restored. His marriage is saved. That's why she says, bridegroom of blood. Imagine Zipporah being told by her husband, I'm not going to tell your family why we're leaving, but this is where we're headed, and I'm on a mission from God. But she knows my husband is a good man, but there are just some things that he knows he's supposed to do, and he just ignores them. And it's in this action, this life and death situation, that their family is healed, that Moses is forgiven, and their marriage is saved. This divine attack was really a a kind work of God's grace. It saved the mission, it saved their marriage, and it certainly was a saving grace for their sons, who now joined in the covenant. Later, when the Israelites celebrate their first Passover, every male would be required to be circumcised. So Moses had to set the example of that circumcision to lead the people and to keep the covenant. Now finally, verses 27 to 31. I love this. It's so quick. Moses is finally back on track. This is the first time in the book of Exodus everything seems to be going quite well. He greets his brother. That's what the kiss is. It's a, it's a friendly hello. Uh, they get on the same page. They gather the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron does the talking. Moses does the signing. And in verse 31, the people believe, and they are so moved that the Lord would give them his name, Yahweh, and that the Lord God saw their affliction, that it says that they bow down and worship even while they were still in the midst of their captivity and slavery, the Israelites began to give Almighty, holy, sovereign, redeeming God the right glory and worship he deserved. Little did they know the wonder-working power of God would one day mean the offering of the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world in the finished work of God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, that his perfect sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, would save. See here, verse 23, we get a glimpse of God's motive. What's motivating God? It is the worship of God, and then verse 23, that God is saving sons and daughters from slavery so they might serve him serve and worship, that they might live fully the way they were designed to live. What can we take from this passage? A couple of thoughts. First, we have in this passage the great overarching story theme. If you could sum up the whole theme of the entire Bible is summed up in this. God gets his family back. 
That's the theme of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You have wayward, willful children that are on the run, and you have the Father in pursuit of them. And then in Revelation, you have what? A family reunion. That is the story of the Bible. God gets his family back. That's why God sent his only son to be our savior. Jesus was everything God ever wanted in a son. He accomplished what Israel was supposed to accomplish. The gospel describes the life of Christ as the new exodus. So to give you a little preview of where we're headed through the season of Lent and to Easter, we're going to keep working through the story of Exodus. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to be at uh, the edge of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. And this is because the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, is the salvation story of the Old Testament. And we'll celebrate that on the day that we celebrate the resurrection story of the New Testament. Same God, same Lord, same grace, same covenant. God gets his family back. So what's the takeaway? To know Jesus as your Redeemer is to know God as your Father. Some of us here have very poor relationships with our earthly dads. Some of us here don't know our fathers. Some of us know our fathers, they've gone on, they've, they've passed away, and our memories have, have changed over the years. I, you've shared some of your stories with me. Some of our fathers have failed us, but your heavenly Father will never fail you, ever. You don't need an action hero. You need to know the living Lord God, his redeeming Son, and the love of the Father. Last night, that terrible storm, that storm was rough. Was that bad? Could everyone sleep? My son Jonathan could not sleep. He was so restless. He came out afraid. It was maybe 10.30 at night, close to 11. He asked me to come in and lie down on the bed with him, just to, just to be near him. I couldn't do anything about the wind or the noise or the fact that the power went out and it was getting cold. I could just be near him and try to reassure him. What a reassurance we have in the storms of life that we can know God our Father. Second, Moses' future and our own future, not a random set of, of events and chance circumstances, Moses' future and your future are known by God. And we think, well, okay, if I, if I get my kids a good education and get them to a good school and, and we'll send them off and we'll just hope for the best, that is not how your Father in Heaven operates. He leaves nothing to chance. He wants to make sure you make it all the way home. And so you could get caught up, okay, is this my free will or God's uh, uh, sovereign choice? I don't understand. This is confusing. Well, here's what you can do today. You can't make sense of something that's a divine mystery. But what you can do is choose God. The things that you do have control of today are to say, I don't understand all these great mysteries of the world, but what I can do, what this pastor guy, this tall guy is saying to me, is to choose God, to walk in his path 
and according to his word. That's the choice that you and I can make today. And finally, finally, when you are faithful, you will be fruitful. Now, I, want, I, I hesitate to say that. I want to put a little asterisk next to it because it, it can kind of lead to a connotation, okay, well, if you do everything just right, you're going to get blessed and, and we need to put some caveats and have another hour or two to talk about that. But what this text is saying, what the scriptures speak to us is when we are faithful, then we will be fruitful. When the Lord's servants do what God calls them to do, God blesses their labors. But listen, de- delaying obedience is really disobedience. And so I'm talking to the men here. I'm talking to the, the, the dads here, like myself. If you're ahead of your household, do not delay obeying what the Lord has commanded you to do. Because if you do, you are disobeying the Lord. That's on you. And we're here to help you and encourage you, and I need your encouragement for me to be a good husband and a good father. But let's not uh, just leave, leave it out there and say, well, it'll all work out. There are too many of our moms who are coming on their own here, and the dads are at home when they should be here with their families so now, I'm, now I do sound like a preacher, don't I? Gosh, get me, off, get me off the stage quick. There is no exception to holiness. The dangers of delayed obedience are real, yet there is mercy for the most wayward among us by the blood of Christ. When you do what God is asking you to do, he will bless you and your faithfulness will produce fruitfulness in your life and in the lives of those around you. Our only hope it's by the precious blood of Jesus, the propitiation of our sins. By dying in our place, Jesus turned aside the wrath of God against our sin. And he says, come, believe on me, bow your heads in worship, and honor me today. That's what you are designed to do. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we pray to that end. That, Lord, we would know you as our father this day lord that you are providing for us a refuge from the storm and lord even if we don't understand and certainly i never can completely wholly even get my head around the questions let alone the answers of the majesty and glory and sovereignty of who you are lord god i choose you this day help me and my friends today to be faithful Lord, we know what you're saying to us right now. Those areas in our life that we need to give to you, the season of Lent that's upon us in which we need to lay certain things aside in order to be prepared for the coming of Easter and things that we need to pick up, habits and practices that we know will bless us and bless those around us. Lord God, we pray for dear ones here uh, today. Pray, Lord, for Diana and family, the loss of her father. We pray, God, for the Allisons and the loss of Craig's dad as well. Prayers, Lord, for, for your, uh, your help uh, and insurance for those who are homeless. Lord God, please protect them from this terrible cold. Those that are outside today, those that don't have a car, that need to take a bus or even walk, Lord, in this frigid temperatures, those first responders that are, are working to protect us out there, keep them safe. God, we pray for Amanda who is having surgery on Tuesday. We pray, God, that you would bless and protect her as she has a surgery to repair her broken nose after a terrible fall. 
pray, God, for a dear sister who's been blessed, Lord, by you and is seeing that, fruit, that faithfulness produce fruitfulness in her life. And God, we pray your blessing again upon Sheila. God, we give you thanks and praise for a, a niece and nephew who were not injured in a car accident, for Mike and Sue Green. Lord God, we thank you for those that are visiting here uh, this morning, and we ask you, God, to bless each and every one. We pray, God, for the great concerns of our, of our nation, and Lord, the great concerns around the world that we want you to please intercede where there is war and rumors of war, where there is injustice, where there is suffering. Almighty oh, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.